The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, you'll find it there in your worship folder. This is one of the classic texts of Advent season. We find ourselves in the temple where uh, the angel Gabriel will make a sudden appearance to a priest named Zechariah. He's an old man. He is serving his time uh, in the temple, and he is quite uh, taken back by what he hears. And so this is the word of God. May God richly bless it. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw, when he, uh, excuse me, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink, uh, drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the power and spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And, the, and, Zechariah said, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray that this text will hit home at the deep places where we make decisions. I pray, Lord, you will be with us in these few moments that we would uh, find, find you, 
find you to be sufficient. Give us courage. Give us hearts that respond to you. Father, be in this moment. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are doing a series called Living with Questions. And uh, we are asking a number of questions uh, along with this series, but we're drawing certain texts uh, together and putting together uh, a theme uh, that we think will relate to your life. Some of the questions come directly from the Advent season. For instance, Luke 1, Zechariah's question, how shall I know this? Others are drawn from different portions of the Bible, but we all live with questions, don't we? Uh, I imagine you are preoccupied with some question that's something in your, in your heart is unsettled, something there's an anxiety, there's a worry. Um, we all have sort of this, um, we're unsettled in life. We are, are certainly uh, able to maybe do our jobs, we're able to uh, raise children, we're, we're able to function, but there is a certain level of uncertainty about, about life itself. And so we are living with questions, even as believers. If you're not a Christian here today, uh, we are really on display today in all our struggles. Uh, we are going to look at a, a priest who should have responded with faith, but he didn't respond with faith. He responded with unbelief. Well, as Christians, we struggle with unbelief. And it's very important that Sunday after Sunday, we actually acknowledge that. We confess that. We have lingering questions about certainty. How will I know this? How will I be assured of this? And we know that life throws at us a number of things that we didn't plan, and that can actually produce a great deal of anxiety. So the question today is, how shall I know this? And that comes from this, from this text. There's 20, listen to this. There's 20 verses in Luke's gospel committed to this, um, this account. 20 verses. Uh, I'm intrigued by the account, but... Um, why is, it, why is it really here? I would love to have 20 more verses about Adam. Wouldn't you? I would love to have uh, Nathaniel and I were talking this week, and he would love to have 20 more verses about Christ's early years as a child. That would be really cool. How about his teenage years? But we have 20 verses about a priest who doesn't believe, and he's the father of John the baptizer. And here we go. Luke starts his gospel with an account of the temple. And a priest who's right there in the middle of the temple, and this priest is filled with unbelief. And Luke has a strategy. Do you want to know what it's like, what it was like to be in Israel in these days? It was like having a temple that was useless, filled with unbelief. Luke is writing with a strategic purpose, inspired by God, saying, Look, the temple had outlived its usefulness, the temple needs to be replaced. Even the priests don't believe. And if Zechariah is the most godly of the priests, look how, what a deep trouble Israel was in. They need to have a better priest, a, a, a great high priest, the one that we will now call Jesus. And he will be the priest over God's people. So the kingdom is going to break in. And the mission of God is going to be accomplished as that temple is, is removed from its, from its central role in the people. And now there will be a new a new temple, the body of Jesus. And uh, we will go through him, and, and now the mission of God is going to be accomplished. Luke is volume one, and volume two is the book of Acts. And there you will see the people of God are mobilized and moving out uh, from that dead temple area. 
and moving out into the temples of the pagans and telling them, your temples are useless as well. Come through the one who is Jesus. So that's why this account is here. It's telling us of the spiritual deadness of Israel at the time of Christ's birth. And here's the account of the father of John the baptizer. And he is one who is cynical. He's encrusted with unbelief. And he is a, he's a picture of the deep spiritual needs of Israel. I find myself in the story. Uh, I'm uncomfortable a bit because I recognize that uh, as, as Zechariah sort of dismisses Gabriel's announcement, I see my own heart, how I have other plans, I have better ways, I have greater wisdom. And I'm often dismissing, um, uh, trusting and relying upon God. So the outline of today's message is very, very simple. I think God is very resourceful and he provides three things. He provides scripture, he provides longings, and he provides resources. If you'd like to follow along, some of you like to take notes and that sort of thing, you'll find that. Uh, a place for, in the worship folder for that. God provides scripture. Well, what does scripture do in this passage? Scripture is the revealer of hearts. Ze- Zechariah is startled, rightly so, when he sees this angel. And uh, not an everyday occurrence in his life. And uh, the angel assures him that God gave him a message to repeat to Zechariah, Zechariah is hearing scripture. Gabriel is saying Old Testament promises about the one who would come before Jesus, John, the great prophet, the final prophet of the Old Covenant. And Gabriel is just repeating out loud what God had already said about uh, the coming one before uh, the great day of the Lord, the arrival of Jesus. So, here, listen, listen carefully to what uh, Gabriel says. In verse 13, we have this. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And now here comes uh, the listing of qualifications for this particular prophet and the scripture. He will... He must not drink wine or strong uh, drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go forth before him in the spirit and power of Elijah that is spoken about in the prof- with the prophet Malachi. So there, there's just a little review of what, what Gabriel says. He brings the authority of God's word to this priest, Zechariah. And what happens is, now we might think, well, he just sort of dismisses the word of God, and that does happen. But what happens in the dismissal is that Zechariah's heart is revealed. Every time we encounter the word of God, it is revealing something about us. It's revealing something about what we truly believe. Uh, and here we have an account of a religious professional who should be uh, familiar with these promises, should be aware of, the, of that God does bring miracle babies, and that he specializes that in the Bible. There are always a couple who can't have a child in the Old Testament. And he comes through with a miracle child. And Zechariah should have picked up on this theme of the Bible and responded with faith. But he grumbles and in a cynical way says, well, that's fine. 
But that's not my standard of, of, of how I know things. The standard by which I know things is when things are presented to me in a more convincing way. Uh, I need to sort of see it to believe it. Uh, we, we're not really sure what Zechariah is meaning behind, and how shall I know this? Um, by the way, if uh, you do know when your wife is pregnant. It does evidence itself. But he has this sense of, well, that's good, well, and fine, but it's not enough. It's been said of great artwork, great famous classical artwork, that when you go into the, go into the museum and, uh, and, and, and you dismiss it, uh, you, you, di- you dismiss its greatness. Uh, it's not that you are judging the, the artwork, but the artwork is judging you. That you can't appreciate it. You can't see the detail. You, you can't understand what's actually going on in that presentation. In your six seconds that you look at that uh, great uh, piece of work in, in the Louvre in Paris, uh, you quickly judge it. And little did you know that that piece of art was actually judging your sense of aesthetic, your sense of beauty. The word of God, in God's good grace, he actually provides for us, Sunday after Sunday, a revelation of our hearts. That's what's actually going on in this dynamic, even right now. The word of God is coming to you, and it is revealing your heart. Uh, is your mind racing to something else? Uh, are you thinking about NFL football? Are you moving somewhere else? Are you dismissing the message itself and moving to something else that would be uh, of greater value to you. We are measuring the worth of the word of God every time we encounter it. And Zechariah, in no uncertain uh, way, is receiving from one of the great angels in heaven an explanation of the Bible. (laughs) And he just says, not enough. How will I know this? So Zechariah's heart is revealed. He doesn't rejoice with Scripture, but he turns away from it. Uh, Zechariah is a priest who is supposed to bless people with words. Uh, he's supposed to be a man with, with good words to say to people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. One of the great uh, blessings of the Levitical priesthood. He's supposed to give people what God is doing and give them assurances that God is working in history. His heart is far from that. His, the spiritual deadness is located right there in the heart of Zechariah. His heart struggles with authority. His heart has turned inward, and his heart has lost purposes for ministry. Now, there's some good news, because Zechariah is going to, he's going to speak. For this moment, uh, for, the sh- for the short uh, time, he is going to not be given the gift of speech. He l- literally can't speak until John is born. But when, when uh, John is born, as God promised, he's going to speak. One of the wonderful things in the later part of Luke's gospel is he really is a preacher. And he really, really comes through with a grasp of, and, and a joy, a joy in receiving this good news. 
And he now is one who blesses people with words. He blesses people with the overflow of his heart. So God gives you the good gift of Scripture to reveal your heart. And do not despair. Don't despair should you find your heart uh, filled and sorrowful or filled with with unbelief uh, and that you're struggling to believe. Uh, That is a common part of our experience in this world where we do get overwhelmed with circumstances and things that happen. Uh, Advent can be a, an uncomfortable and not a, not a happy time because we remember loved ones who are, who are not with us. God has provided for you the scriptures to comfort you, to reveal your heart, but to also to point you to the joyful news of Christ who understands your heart and has come to rescue it. Secondly, God provides longings that point to our true need. Zechariah is really blinded to his true need. For instance, he's been praying uh, to have a child, but he doesn't really in, he's not really engaged in that. He's been wanting to uh, see his wife happy, no doubt, but he's really disconnected from what does this mean that we would even have a child? What does it mean that we'd even have a child? His child is part of the great grand picture of redemption. His child is an extraordinary child. Uh, Jesus would say of John that there's, of all the prophets, there's no greater one than John. But Zechariah thinks his true need is just living with certainty. He thinks that's his true need. And so what's going on here is that God gives him the good grace of reflection. Zechariah, think about this. Reflect. What, what causes your heart to get excited. And that is one of the wonderful things that God gives us as Christians is that we are the recipient of correction, correction, and it, it, it sets us back a little bit, but we're now able to think and to see, to see more clearly what our heart is rejoicing in. And there's a shift that changes there. God has a change agenda for us. He experiences the grace of discipline. He is a priest who ought to have his heart filled with anticipation of the great inbreaking of God. It's not there. And so, so Zechariah receives an extended time to reflect upon his heart. And his true need is revealed to him. Has it ever happened to you that uh, you come to, to worship on Sunday morning and you're feeling sort of cold and, and hard and it's, it's, it, you need to jumpstart your heart and you're, you're feeling rather sluggish and spiritually and it's just and you're, you're kind of thinking about things and your, your mind is somewhere else and you're, you're, you're disengaged? Well, here's what's happening is that there's a kind of sorrow that you're going through saying, you know what, my real need, uh, I need to... Can I get on with my to-do list? Can I skip church? Because what I really need is, and then you fill in the blank, and then usually there's an, ur- there's an urgency of the matter. Taking time to worship with God's people feels irrelevant because your real needs are pressing in. I mean, I know what church is about, and I know the preacher, he'll do his thing. We'll say some prayers. We'll sing some songs. Yeah, I'll go for the sake of my kids. Okay, I'll go for the sake of my, my spouse. 
But your heart is convinced that you know your true need. And it's right here that on a regular basis, God speaks to us. And he says, you thought it was this, but it's this, isn't it? You thought it was getting more done on your to-do list, but it's this, isn't it? It's finding Jesus. It's finding my place in the big, big drama of redemption. It's having my heart lifted out of the urgency of the moment and becoming at peace with what God is doing. That's my true need. My true need is worship. My true need is to express my gladness in God. That's my true need. But strangely, strangely, it's largely hidden from us. It's largely hidden from us. And so, Zechariah has some time to think about his true need. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 64... A baby is born. There's some people nearby saying, well, you're going to call him Zechariah, right? And uh, Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. They said, that's outrageous. Who's, who's in your family that's named John? And then God loosens his father's tongue, and he says the first words, his name shall be John. And then there's a wonderful outflowing of Zechariah giving the prophecies that are about his son. And his heart is caught up in the moment, and he now is experiencing his true need. Look at verse 68 if you have your Bibles there. Let me just read it out loud if you don't. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is Zechariah. His first words are blessing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed, I love that, it's already past tense accomplished, has redeemed his people and raised up a horn, with an animal, the horn is their power, and raised up the power of salvation for us in the house of David. David is going to have one of his, one of his sons, it's not John, it's going to be Jesus, one of his sons will reign over the house of David forever and ever and ever and ever. And Zechariah gets it. He's understanding his true need. And God has provided for him the resource, the resource of reflecting. And this is extremely important for us. If you're like me, I am a bottomless bucket of needs. I need a nicer car. I need a nicer lunch. I need better clothes. I need my child to get into the best college. I need my employer to notice me. I need to be affirmed. I need to be acknowledged. I need to be loved. Do you find yourself a bottomless bucket of needs? Modern uh, psychology would say, absolutely, that's how you're wired. You're just a, a, a need machine. And the needs go on and on and on. And here's one of the assumptions. All of our needs are legitimate. As a baby boomer, I'll tell you about all my needs. Everything I could ever imagine, ever ever want. It's interesting, isn't it? You are called of God to evaluate your, your needs. And to, and to go right deep into the issues of your heart. Because if you stay in that bottomless bucket of your needs, you will never minister to other people. 
You will go on and on and on for years and years and years, and you will want to have your needs met, and I hope some of them are met. I hope the church comes through and meets some of them. That would be great. But Zechariah is now, he's you know, reflecting, it's all about salvation. It's about the inbreaking of God. It's about the accomplishment of, of mission in the world. He now sees, he's, he's just filled with happiness. He's a, he's a much happier camper than when we first meet him. Isn't that great? Ah, so good. Elizabeth Elliot, famous uh, missionary wife. Um, God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. Listen to that. Do you know that God is chasing you down? Do you know that he's actively chasing you down? Do you know that he is working to convince you of what your true need really is? That is, that is the, that's the, the work of the Spirit is working. And he is, he is active among you. If you're a believer today, this is, this is what's going on. That you might transition from self to others. There's a change agenda. And now we have Zechariah. He's blessing the people. He's, he's speaking out loud of how great God is. And he's come through. And so God provides longings. Longings, what? New longings that are rooted in Scripture. You know, it's easy to have longings that are rooted in, at the mall or rooted in the American dream or rooted in some other story. That's pretty easy. It's not easy to root your longings in Scripture and, and the great story of God. That's why we have life together in the church. Uh, that God, God in his goodness would give you what is far better. And then thirdly, let's take a look just uh, briefly at how God provides resources to battle pride and foster humility. Uh, it's just a slice of Zechariah's life. We don't see everything. Um, we certainly remember him uh, season after season, advent after advent. He is, he is locked into history, isn't he? And you know what it is? It's a picture of a prideful man. It's a picture of someone who's really not used of God, uh, going through the motions, a religious professional. And it's a picture of a prideful man who's changed. Isn't that good? Pride manifests itself as a demanding grip that we know best how our lives should go. I'm in that definition. But God, in his goodness, provides resources. Here's a few resources that battle pride and foster humility. Uh, first of all, the gathered church. Um, as the church gathers, uh, you uh, will have your heart exposed. Uh, we, we pray to that end that you might turn to, to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And so James 4 says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, James 4.10 well, as we gather, we are in the presence of the Lord. And do you sense his presence? Do you sense his, his moving? Do you sense his, his convincing you of how much has been done in Jesus Christ? And then there's a, there's a resting. And then there's a, a sense of, I can now serve. I'll be okay. God is providing the resource of the church. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's a place to cry out. Uh, Jesus is dealing with a, a man and his son who's been dealing with, uh, with a demon. And uh, this demon has been just wrecking havoc in this young boy's life. And in Mark 9, the father is desperate to have his child healed. And Jesus says, have faith. And, and the man says, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Meaning, I am, I am stuck. I don't, 
I don't know how you'll come through, but I want you to come through. I want you to heal my son. There is a place in fellowship groups in this church where you are, you're connecting with people for your lingering questions. It would make perfect sense that we experience a lack of certainty about God, about, uh, that we would doubt, and we, we need a place to be together in those struggles. Life is coming at us, and things are coming our way that are hard to handle. Don't do it by yourself. God has given you the resource of the church, of fellowship groups, of community. Get close enough to others that they might be involved in your life. It's interesting. Zechariah, there's a feeling of loneliness about him. He's, he's all alone. He's in this, I, I just picture the temple kind of dusty and dark, and, and, just, and he's just cruising around, and he's lighting some incense, and he's, he's going through the motion. He's all, he's all alone. But then there's, a, there's sort of a breakthrough later in Luke 1 where he's happy and he's, he's, he's no longer uh, first person singular, but it's first person plural. We, we. It's an interesting transition. You are probably going to be brought to the end of your resources on a regular basis just because you're alive. And, and what a great thing that God has given you, the gift of the church, to be there and to cry with you when you cry out, I believe, but help my unbelief, we, we, will, be there. we will be there for you. And, and then there's even the spiritual oversight of, of, of people who are leading in your, in your fellowship group or, or elders. Think about this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Think of this as a spiritual resource. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he's speaking to the leadership, he says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. You see, people are going to need different kinds of encouragement, correction, uh, strengthening, uh, words of wisdom. There's going to be a different... Life is just so multifaceted. And God gives you the good resources of the church during Advent to pray, to weep with, with someone, to encourage them. And so may we then take this text and say... I get it. I see. I see that God has his change agenda for me. And he's providing resources for me to battle what blinds me. And that is my pride. If you're not a Christian here today, uh, do you sense, are you becoming aware of your need for Christ? Is this the time, is this the season where you would turn and say, I see how alone I am. I see the hardness of my heart. I see that I'm not connected to the inbreaking of God into history. I see that I am, I'm, not, I'm not involved. I'm not, I'm not being a, a human being as God calls me to be. I see myself as prideful. Well, you're among friends because that's the call upon all of us to to acknowledge that, and then to move into the resources that God has provided for us. And the chief one is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gathered church and for your goodness that's manifested in this text. Father, this, this is a joyful passage because you came after a man who was just encrusted in his unbelief. 
Father, thank you for the good news that you change hearts. Father, loosen our tongues that we might speak of the great inbreaking of God into history. Help us minister to others in this season of Advent. We love you. Thank you for coming. In Christ's name, amen.